I am not in charge of the spanking. Especially if it's a juicy spanking. Juicy. 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 Spanking. Hey, I know you don't smoke weed. I know this. But I'm going to get you high today. Because it's Friday. You ain't got no job. And you ain't got shit to do. and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 176 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the base two, that is, binary episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that you can put a string of numbers together in binary that goes a little bit as follows one zero one one zero 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 and you will have just come up with one Seven six. That's right folks and with that little bit of binary solo knowledge I of course am Matt and coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee. It is 420 Tim. Yes. Coming to you from the West Coast, 420 Tim. All right, yeah. Bringing the ultimate classic rock in all of Southern California. <laughs> uh, oh, didn't Fly the Concords have a binary code song in one of their uh, TV episodes? They they do it uh, like it's binary one 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 zero zero when they get um, it's a song about being taken over by the robots <clears throat> and they and how the robot overlords are going to be this you know amazing uh, <clears throat> species that's going to take over the world and blah 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 and they end up doing a binary solo. So it's like binary solo zero 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 one zero 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 one. So yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. Uh, but how are you doing there, sir? Good, good, good. I am enjoying. To, I will be enjoying today because you know this show that the this episode will be posted on four twenty. So this will actually be a legitimate four twenty SLS cast episode. So, Matt, Meanwhile, what are you doing it's, today? <laughs> it's currently a legitimate tax day episode. <laughs> because apparently, um, for whatever reason, there was no holiday on Friday. There's no holiday anytime over the weekend. But because the 15th fell on a Friday, they moved tax day to the 18th, which is apparently not today. But, um, yeah. Well, I don't know. What am I, what am I going to Hang on. Let's see here. Oh, let's see. For four, for four twenty. Are you pulling out um, your your pocket calendar? Um, yeah, I'm pulling out my computer calendar here. Uh, apparently, I'm going to class. That that is what I have going on. Uh, providing I haven't drowned yet, and the weed <laughs> is not waterlogged, um, I, I will. You know, and I'll probably have my legendary game that I as again, as long as the weather is good. Legendary game, as in, I mean, are you going to like smoke weed and play a board game? 
Because Legend, it's a board game, right? Kind of. Um, it is a. How can it kind of be a board game? Because it's primarily a deck building game, and while the board aspect of the game helps in terms of delineation, you don't one hundred percent have to have it to play, but it really does help. So that's why. You lost me. It's okay. Don't worry about it. My deck building geeks, game. Yes, my my fellow geeks will. <laughs> they, they will know. That is everybody listening right now. Send all your hate mail to <laughs> to Tim at show at we're not <laughs> here to please show. you dot com. <laughs> oh, look at that! Uh huh. I see what you did there. Yes. So, anyways, how's life treating you, sir? Life is good. I am not currently drowning in tons of water where you're at. Uh, I I do believe Harris County, for those of you that are all current with current events, Houston is now, they are experiencing what Noah experienced during the Arkan days when he had to build that faithful ark, apparently. Uh, Because you're you're um, in like a 500-year reign spout or whatever right is it a 500 year i'm just assuming morgan well i don't know i'm just assuming morgan freeman showed up and said this is what's going on guys i I mean i don't think morgan freeman i don't think anybody's seen evan evan almighty so they may not get that joke but okay you know evan almighty movie history here evan almighty was the most expensive comedy ever made it really was, and, and I don't a know bigger why flop. they thought. I don't know why they thought it was going to make any money. No, uh, let's. I mean, we we definitely had quite the experience over uh, the last thirty six hours. We have, we literally had tornado warning for quite some time last night. Severe wind. Uh, we had rain in the backyard enough that it actually almost got into the back door. Um, we. I also got to hear kind of like severe tornado-ish stuff, and it was like this kind of a loud whine, and uh, apparently a tornado actually did touch down over at a high school that's about two miles away. So um, we definitely had our share of fun. Thankfully, our block specifically uh, was spared for the most part, and um, we stayed dry, and the kids didn't even wake up. Good Lord, one of the thunderclaps was so loud, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Kids were dead dead asleep. Uh, Jen and I were up because she was doing something for work, and I was doing something for school. And then with that, combined with the power flickering all the time, was slowing us down and getting our projects done. Combined with the weather and having to clean up the garage enough to get both vehicles in there and make sure everything was good. And um, So do you guys yeah. have like an escape plan? Sure. Like, do do you know where you're gonna go? Where where you're gonna do? Which kid you're gonna actually take with you and not leave behind? There's virtually nothing we can do, um, except be inside of either the spare bathroom or our or Jen and I's master closet because those are the only two truly interior, non-windowed rooms. So, so in the event of a tornado, that's really about the best you can hope for. So I have, a, I have a real question for you, and guys, I, those of you listening, I apologize. We have to get a little serious for a moment. Matt, all seriousness, if the event is to occur, which child would you be able to save? Because you can't save every child of yours. 
You have to choose one. Do you have that one picked out for that inevitable time? Oh, yes, I do. I do. And much like the the many people who choose to live in trailers in Tornado Alley, I would choose none and just simply say, we're going to rebuild. We'll just have a whole bunch of sex and do it again. So you'll chalk it up to a God thing. Right, right. They're in a better place. We got to repopulate the the whole earth. Matt, Matt, you don't have to repopulate the earth. It's just your trailer park is blown away. No, I'm going to repopulate the earth. It's a sign (laughs) from God. I got to do this. Got to fuck everybody. That's right. No, I mean, hopefully it'll be me and Jen in the room, and then I've got one kid under each arm, and she's got the the third. So hopefully, that'll be the that'll be the best scenario. Um, but let's see here. So yeah, so school was canceled today uh, for both my wife and my kids and me because uh, even though the main campus of my school up in Huntsville was open because apparently Huntsville didn't really get hit by all the terrible weather. The Woodlands was, and that's where my classes were today. So, uh, or class rather. Uh, So didn't have that. And then now we're expecting even more thunderstorms and rain overnight tonight. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out to try and go to school tomorrow. So, Oh, darn. And they did cancel school again for my kids and my wife. So, And I bet they're ecstatic. Your kids. Well, the kids are. My wife is not because now she's got to make up two days at the end of the year because of inclement weather days. So oh. she's kind of pissed about that. Well, the good thing is for our listeners is I believe for this 420 rendition of the SLS cast, we have two pieces. We each have a piece of weird news. Is I that do, right? But I still have to tell you the coolest thing that happened this weekend. Oh, oh I, I thought the rain would have knocked that out of the park. No, no, nothing, nothing can compare with this story I'm about to tell you. So, over the weekend, we had my middle daughter's birthday party, and we're having a great time, everything was great, parties ended, it's getting towards the evening, I got my dad in town, my brother came down from Dallas, now my brother is the, you know, badass, like, buff, just this amazing looking dude. His wife is just this beautiful, beautiful woman. And so, uh, he, he came down with one of with, with the daughter that was closest in age to the kids. And, um, so we're, it's just us guys. My dad was here, my brother-in-law, my brother, and we all decided to go hit this tiki bar. That's up the street from the house. This place is fucking phenomenal. Amazing drinks. Great ambiance. It's totally fucking cool. And so we're just having a blast, drinking, you know, doing whatever. And this tattooed biker chick comes in with her equally tattooed biker boyfriend. And they commence to having a drink or two up at the bar. We are over at the at a table uh, about, I don't know, 10, 12 feet away. And so we're minding our own business, having a great time. This girl comes up behind me, and I can't see her. And so she starts making, like, bunny ears, you know, and the little moose ears behind my head and everything. And, of course, because, you know, guys at the table seeing someone getting fucked with, you know, they have to go along. So they're totally ignoring this chick, and I have no idea that, you know, they're going to put on me. And so she finally gives up, you know, and we all have a nice laugh, and we're joking around. And she's like, and so I was like, oh, man, this will be hilarious. I can tell my wife, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'm sorry, did you say wife? And I said, yes, wife. And she says, 
cut. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I thought you were gay. And I'm like, so now my dad and my brother-in-law are just absolutely dying. And I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. This is the best thing that's happened because now I get to tell this story. Because, well, that's kind of like, okay, well, whatever, I guess... If I look gay, well, then, all right, more power to whatever. Do you have to tell um, me something? I mean, is there a reason why you you drug me to that gay bar to Uncle Sam's that one time? <laughs> so, at any rate, my so she my brother had gotten up to step outside um, and smoke, and she comes and so he comes back in and she's all like, "I seriously thought that that was your husband," and I'm like, "Wait, I'm sorry." You thought I was married to him because he's just like, you know, this is this is seriously like a three upgrading to like an eight or a nine, right? So I'm like, really? Well, now I now I went from like kind of awkward funny because it's just amazingly awkward and funny to feeling really really good about myself because even though I'm a tub of fucking lard, I can still pull that. Yes. Yes, I am good. Now, my brother comes back in and he's all like, I'm sorry, what, what just happened here? And I'm like, yeah, have you, you, so I'm like showing this chick our wives on Facebook, right? And so she's now trying to backpedal out of this, but she's too drunk and she just doesn't know how to backpedal her way out. So she then, and remember, my dad and my brother-in-law are also here. And I'm so I'm showing him pictures of our wives, you know, look at how hot she is, right? And, you know, and look at my beautiful, beautiful wife and how, see, you know, you know. So, and I'm joking, I'm already posting it on Facebook, looks like we got some explaining to do to our wives, blah, 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 my brother and I are apparently a gay couple, and having a great time with it, my dad and my brother-in-law are laughing at us, and then she goes, I thought the whole table was gay, and you should have, man, they just shut the fuck up, like, they got mad. Like, my dad was like, I have never been called gay before. I'm like, dude, now it's not funny? I'm like, now now what happened? My brother-in-law, he's all like, he was laughing. He just kind of like stopped laughing and didn't really say much. <laughs> I'm like, and then, and then because she's like, she seriously, there's just no way to get out of this hole anymore. I'm going, well, now you've really done it because that's my brother-in-law and that is my dad. And she's like, Holy shit. So now, and then I was able to salvage it because now we're all laughing at her for just, there's no way. To, yes. And so that was my Saturday night. Oh, and I got the most amazing tiki mug as a souvenir of my time there last on Saturday night. So does it have a yes. big penis on it? It's very phallic. I think it could hold a big penis. How, okay. How can I, how, why would you want a mug to like rest your Johnson like on top of it? <laughs> You have like that whole open space that's not being put to good and use. And that's why, because it's a whole slash open space. <laughs> now we're down to one news of the weird. Yes, we're going to skip my news of the weird. My news of the weird will wait. So please, let's do your news of the weird. Go for it. All right. So, Matthew, you have to guess if this is real or if it is not real. This is from, and, and no, no looking any of this up. Well, you can't say this is from. You just read me a headline and okay. tell me if it's real or not. Or I'll have to tell you if it's real or not, I guess. Cinnamon roll can explodes inside man's butt during shoplifting incident. Ah. <clears throat> Las Vegas. See, see you, I, 
if you had not said shoplifting incident, I would have said real. But because you said shoplifting incident, I'm going to go with fake. Oh. Maybe. But it, it happened in Vegas. I mean, could, could that persuade you any? No. See, because having seen one guy, one jar... Go ahead, folks. Google it. I dare you. Why? Um, no, don't Google it. Don't. <laughs> That's why I said I dare you. I still I, haven't I seen two chicks, one cup. that in some kind of sexual fit of pleasure, a man would be dumb enough to shove a can of... A pressurized can of dough up his ass. But it's not it's expecting Pillsbury. it to explode. Not as, but in a shoplifting <laughs> incident, I don't. I just don't. The logistics aren't there for me. Okay. So. Well, well, here. I mean, listen. Try these logistics on for size. <laughs> Takes place in Vegas. Plausible. Okay. Martin sure. Klein, forty-one of Vegas, was arrested during a shoplifting incident turned horribly wrong, according to reports. Mr. Klein and his partner Jerry Wise had stolen several grocery items from the Las Vegas Walmart. Walmart, in Vegas, double plausible. Reportedly, Klein and Weiss had entered the Las Vegas Walmart at approximately 11 a.m. and headed towards the breakfast food aisle. Both of the men had taken several cans of Pillsbury cinnamon rolls from the aisle and headed towards the bathroom. According to CCTV footage, Klein and his partner entered the restroom and stayed inside for nearly 20 minutes before exiting. I'm surprised it didn't take longer. Quote, well, I see, had... That, that's, why, that's why it exploded. See, the, the, the dough got warm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like when a, it's like when a space shuttle comes, in, it comes back into orbit. Or, talk, about, talk, talk about popping fresh, right? <laughs> when you go scuba diving and you're surfacing, you need to take the time to come up. <laughs> Saying, quote, I had, went to the bath- the <laughs> I had went to the bathroom to wash my hands when I heard a man in one of the stalls moaning. I had no idea what was happening. I washed my hands and went back to my station in the deli department. End quote, said Jonathan Peterson, an employee of the store. When Klein was approached by Walmart security after they had witnessed the two men enter the restroom, Klein told his partner to find his mother in the front of the store. Quote, I asked Mr. Klein to show me the items he had stolen in the restroom or that he had taken into the restroom, end quote, said Michael Jones, a security guard at Walmart. Quote, Mr. Klein denied taking any items into the restroom, and then he walked away toward the front of the store. I followed him as he met up with the other person he was in the restroom with. I grabbed Mr. Klein, and that's when his friend squeezed KY jelly in my face. KY got all in my eyes and on the floor. I attempted to grab Mr. Klein, and that's when both of us fell. I fell on top of him, and that is when I heard a loud popping noise. Mr. Klein screamed loudly, and then fluid started running from his backside. It was so disgusting, but at least I caught the subs- the suspect. In quotes. You caught the substance? <laughs> <laughs> According to eyewitnesses, the EMT that treated Mr. Klein on the scene said the Pillsbury cinnamon roll can exploded due to the amount of pressure inside, Klein- <laughs> inside Klein's anus, coupled with the shocked... Or, yeah, coupled with the shocked of the fall. Coupled with the shocked of the fall. Yeah. The shocked of the fall? Or it says shocked, but it, yeah, it's probably shocked. Who knows? It's 420, guys. It's 420. The can and its contents were, me- were, were removed from Mr. Klein. That's important. Mr. Klein was treated for his injuries and then placed into custody of Las Vegas police. Now, Matthew, this is an article from EmpireHerald.com. Is this real or is this false? 
Um, okay, I, 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 I maintain that it was false. I mean, I maintain that it's false, even though you brought back the sexual nature into it by the people um, going into the bathroom to pleasure themselves. But uh, with mom being in the store and the squeezing of the KY jelly, and yeah, I'm, no, I've, I've got to go with false. But it's Walmart in Vegas. I'm going with false. I'm going with false. Final answer. Lay it on me, Regis. So I was on a website clicking around looking at something, and I saw this dude's face, <laughs> and it said uh, basically the headline of this. And so I, I had to click it. And so I clicked it, and I started reading it. And about two sentences in, all this shit started popping up. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I have to get out of this site, but I have to copy this to show Matt. And when I went to try to uh, highlight over the page or to over the text, it wouldn't let me do it. And so that is when I realized this is a fake page. It's clickbait. And then I found out they have multiple articles like this with randomly with, with various looking grotesque people to lure people like me in. So you are correct. This is indeed a false article, unfortunately. You see, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. See, for me, I just go with the onion. The Onion usually has really cool stuff like that. Yeah, but they're too witty. Ah, indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you for the amazing... Uh, that was still highly entertaining, even if it was false. <laughs> so so, I, so I if you have that. any... If you if you want to do this in real life, it has not yet been <laughs> report, done before, report at least recorded. To, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Head to Vegas. <laughs> Find a little Walmart. Grab the KY. Some poppin' fresh dough. And go. Report back. Uh, all right. Well, let's see here. So we do have some email. Uh, just one. No uh, no Twitter followers this week to mention. But, of course, you can always follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. And this email, which goes to the show at SLScast.com, uh, comes from Diana Weeks. Uh, let's see here. It says, I am the Sky Review. Yes and no. Uh, let's see here. Diana says, hi guys, Matt, I'm blaming you for my obsession with finding razzmatazz now. Grrr. Um, well, let me help you there. Uh, basically, if you can't find razzmatazz specifically, um, a generic raspberry schnapps will probably cover you. So just to help. But try to get the razzmatazz if you can. Let's see here. Moving along. Now, I also enjoyed Eye in the Sky and was saying, yes listening to Matt's review till he got to the end and then I said no if they left it open-ended I would have been highly pissed off it would be like being brought to the edge without the climax such as it is I do agree with Tim that they should have left the very end with the audience deciding what the fate was for you know who I also want to underline the fact that any fan of Alan Rickman's should not miss this performance. The emphasis is there for her. She capitalized that. Not miss this performance. Not just because it's his last live-action film role, but how juicily good he is in this role. It affected me deeply. Giving him that last great line was a poignant gift to us and him. A 14-karat gold moment to remember. Thanks again for all the great reviews. Oh, and Matt, labyrinth dissing? Really? Yes, I know. I already heard from Miranda. She made sure to point out that, yes, I was the only one who hated it. So, let's see. Uh, apparently, she says, you deserve a spanking for that. I mean, David Bowie graced it for goodness sakes. Your fave fan, Diana. As long as I am not in charge of the spanking, especially if it's a juicely 
Spanking. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to start using that word all through the show. Juicely. It's juicely? nice. Juicely. Isn't that what she said? Juicely? No, just juicy. I thought she said... I th- oh, well, I thought I heard you say juicely. It was a juicely performance. Uh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Juicily. But how juicily... Juicily. Yes. But how juicily good he is in this role. Mm. So juicily. There we go. Juicily. <laughs> Sounds like that breakfast cereal, muesli. Right? <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you very much again, Diana. I appreciate it. I'm sorry that you didn't agree with my review. Although I will say that I think that Tim and I were a lot closer on our takes of the ending. I'm still harder on it than he was because of it. But I think that Tim articulated that point about the ending a little bit better than I did. So Surprisingly. I, I don't know how. so i can certainly see where you're coming from on that um all right well there we go so that takes care of all that and brings us to the real news are you ready for it sir oh yes here we go folks it's the news And for me first, I have got a trio of news here for you, all revolving around DC slash Warner Brothers. Uh, And don't worry, they're really, really quick. First one from uk.movies.yahoo.com, because that's not a mouthful, uh, which is basically just, you know, European Yahoo movies, right? Um, Well, I'm sorry, not European, United Kingdom, England. Whatever. Uh, Jai Courtney, Suicide Squad. Re- suicide Squad? <laughs> I got too much of that stupid news <laughs> of the weird story in my head. Suicide Squad reshoots, not to make it funnier. Let's see here. Jai Courtney has said that the rumored reshoots of Suicide Squad aren't being done to make the movie, quote, funnier, end quote. The Australian star confirmed that they are taking place, however. Quote, I wouldn't say we're going back to make it funnier, end quote, he told Entertainment Tonight. Quote, there's some additional action stuff we've been doing, which is pretty dope. Yeah, really, we're just kind of adding in that sense. Uh, End quote. Let's see here. It was rumored that the reception of Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice and its overly dour tone brought on the reshoots for the forthcoming DC adaptation, said to be costing in the many millions. Uh, An... An, quote, excellent, end quote, source on the film told the movie site Birth Movies Death that, quote, every joke in the movie is in that trailer, end quote, referring to the blazing Bohemian Rhapsody scored teaser, which emerged in January. Um, yeah, moving quickly here. Um, from Mashable.com. Oh, and let's see here. I apologize. Ben Arnold was the source Uh, was the author of that article from Yahoo Movies. I apologize for not mentioning that. Uh, Let's see here from Mashable.com by way of Josh Dickey. Warner Brothers confirms it. Ben Affleck is directing a standalone Batman film. That's right. Just like we were talking about last week. The article starts off, this is a pretty clever line. I, I appreciate Josh Dickey's sense of humor. It says, tell me, Ben Affleck, do you direct comic book movies? You will. Warner Brothers is moving forward with a standalone Batman film with Affleck at the helm. If studio head 
Kevin Sujihara is to be believed. During his opening remarks at the Warner's presentation at CinemaCon, Sujihara said that the studio was excited to be going ahead with the film, which has long been rumored but never confirmed, as well as an Aquaman movie by James Wan. And again, uh, the article does go on from there, um, but hey, what do you know? It looks like we are going to be seeing that Warner Brothers film. So we get a Ben Affleck written Batman vehicle that stars Ben Affleck and is directed by Ben Affleck. So if this movie isn't as good, which I think it stands a really good chance of being good, then truly he will have no one but himself to blame. Uh, let's see here. Finally, real quick, uh, also Batman news from EW.com. That would be Entertainment Weekly, uh, coming to us by way of Oliver Gettle. Batman, the killing joke animated movie receives R rating, and this is an exclusive for them. Um, let's see here, at least as it was as of the 14th of April. Batman, the killing joke isn't kidding around. Warner Brothers direct to video animated film based on the notorious Alan Moore comic has been rated R. The studio's home entertainment division tells EW exclusively. The killing joke marks the first film in the DC Universe original movie franchise to receive an R rating, and the second Batman movie to do so, which would, of course, be the extended home video version of Batman v Superman that's coming. Uh, let's see here. It says that it stars Kevin Conroy as the voice of Batman Bruce Wayne. Awesome. Mark Hamill as the Joker. Amazing. And Tara Strong as Batgirl slash Barbara Gordon. The Killing Joke is an origin story that finds the clown prince of crime taunting the Dark Knight by capturing and torturing Batgirl. Um, the original comic was from 1988. I'm going to stop there. Please read the rest of the brief articles. Got some quotes in it that I think are relevant, uh, at least for in-depth reading. Who but, who, uh, who did the, we'll the comic? Not, or, uh, Frank Miller, right? Frank Miller did the comic. <laughs> the Killing Joke, right? <laughs> yes. No, Alan Moore. Oh, Alan Moore. Oh, because yes. Frank Miller did the Dark Knight uh, whatever right, Dark Knight Returns. Sure. That was the one he did, where Batman is like literally old and comes yeah. back. Yeah, and... old, old man Batman. Yes. So oh, there you go. Those are the trio of the stories. Anything to say about the Jai Courtney reshoots, the confirmation of the Batman film with Affleck directing and writing and starring, or the Batman Killing Joke R rating? Well, I hope Jai Courtney found himself a good movie to be in. <laughs> but it's it's like somebody, I think it was the director... Yeah, fudge my nut. Fudge my nuts. Wow. I, I, I shouldn't we were, say that I in public. I thought we were just going to say cinnamon roll your anus. But, you know. <laughs> fudge my nuts. Cinnamon roll my anus. Uh, but, but like, the director came out and said that it has nothing to do with making it funny or anything like that. It's like the studio liked what they've seen, the cut that I've already provided them. And so they wanted to give us more money to make it even better or to bring more ideas into the movie. So I, I don't know. I don't know who to really side with on this one. But it, to me, it at least it just kind of sounds like they just had more money to do more stuff. Not necessarily. I guess. But I think it's really risky to pull something like that. Um, but it's not opening till August. So I know, but it's, it it's time. the middle of April. That's a lot to try and get to be to get everybody back, or at least the people that you need. Actually, get the stuff done, get the makeup, get your continuity straight um, in terms of filming because they're not necessarily going to look exactly the same. And then get it all done in three months. So, what do you have for us, sir? 
All right, something something sexy here. If you find working out at a boutique fitness with a giant IMAX screen in front of you sexy, or maybe juicy, Diana, then you'll find this interesting. From the HollywoodReporter.com, IMAX Muscles in a New York Boutique Fitness. This is written by Eaton Vlessing. Eaton Vlessing. Interesting. And it says this, the giant screen movie chain will have fitness fiends in a spin cycle at IMAX shift. That is IMAX shift, not IMAX shit. Like, oh, I took such a IMAX of a shit. Starting in Brooklyn on April 28th. IMAX is looking to supersize the boutique fitness business as it opens an immersive indoor spin studio in New York City. Never mind the small LCD screen on your local gym's exercise bikes, the IMAX Shift studio launching in a warehouse directly under the Brooklyn Bridge on April 28th to target fitness fashionistas will have tiered rows of stationary bicycles facing a wall-to-wall screen filled with beat-based visuals and sound in a darkened room. And perky instructors will lead riders through a tribal workout with choreographed songs and video running parallel with the frenzied spinning, quote, You could be flying above an ocean, soaring over the coast of Hawaii. You might be in outer space or the far reaches of the galaxy, end quote. IMAX Shift CEO Brian Markovici said of the big screen visuals promised to get spinners out of the saddle to shed pounds. IMAX is getting into a crowded fitness market dominated by spin studio rivals like SoulCycle and Flywheel with their own Hollywood celebrity followings and expanding studio networks. Marco Vici, or Vici, said IMAX Shift will set itself apart in the New York fitness scene with zen-inducing visuals and music to get spinners pedaling for performance. End all quotes there. Uh, It does say later on in the article that the IMAX shift will be priced at $34 a class with the price coming down as you buy packages of classes. So, Matt, would that get you into taking a spin class if you get to spin through the cosmos and... Um, no. (laughs) But it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like an interesting experience if you have the money for it. Well, what's the? I mean, I'll give like, it that. I, I don't get it though. I mean, soon we're gonna. It's gonna be like the. We're, they're gonna have like the D box of spin classes. Well, I mean, I think this is really kind of a kind of a lame stopgap between when, um, we get the VR headsets and everything, right? Because then you could just pop the, uh, Oculus Rift, right, and put that on, and then just boom. Now it's like you're really there. Yeah. So. Speaking of Oculus Rift, do we still need to copyright our Oculus Shaft thing we came up with a couple years ago? (laughs) I suppose it's entirely possible. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's see here. Uh, Second to last piece of news for me uh, from Vox.com. And this comes to us by way of Zachary Crockett. The actors and actresses who most consistently appear in terrible movies... Yes. All right. So basically, the uh, here, here's how they, here's how Vox came up with this. Basically, they have ranked the top fifteen worst um, leading uh, leading men and ladies in film. So what they say here: these are the criteria. 
The actor slash actress must have performed in at least 10 films. Writing, directing, and producing credits were omitted. At least one of these films had to have grossed $30 million or more at the box office, adjusted for inflation. And at least one of these films had to be within the past five years. We only wanted semi-active performers. Uh, Let's see here. So, here we go. I know I ran through this list pretty quick but uh what who do you think was on who do do you you remember who the number one worst actor actors who appear in the worst films ranked by lowest average metacritic score of all film appearances see my first guess would have been nicholas cage correct except oh uh, seriously that was your first guess yes correct that was your first guess from last time uh but he's actually 15th he's actually dead last on this one huh think sidekick of a bad performer kevin hart no um white guy white guy white guy white guys never get the supporting roles he had a movie (laughs) about about male prostitution oh deuce bigelow schneider Mm -hmm. yes rob schneider with 69 percent negative reviews 31% 31% mixed reviews and no positive reviews and an average score of 30. Rob Schneider is the lowest one. Um, Adam Sandler, Ashton Kutcher, Kevin James, and Taylor Lautner round out the top five. Oh, poor Moving. Taylor. <laughs> uh, and, and again, that's, there's, there's more. That, that was just six of the total 15 that are available. So feel free to check out this Vox.com article. Now... Actresses again ranked by lowest average Metacritic score of all film appearances. Who 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 did you guess was number one? Um, would it be Miley Cyrus? No, Miley Cyrus is not on this list at all. <sighs> Surprisingly, I thought I thought you guessed Halle Berry last time. Halle Berry, Halle Berry, or, or was it Jessica Alba? You, you I think I think I said Halle Berry. Yeah, okay. Halle, Halle, Halle Berry. Halle Berry again, fifteenth on this list, with thirty-five percent negative reviews, thirty percent mixed reviews, and thirty-five percent positive reviews, and an average score of forty-nine. She's actually fifteenth. Uh, for the record, Nicolas Cage was forty percent negative, thirty-five percent mixed, and twenty-five percent positive, with an average score of forty-seven. So, um, let's see here, but. Uh, the number one actress ranked lowest here is Jennifer Love Hewitt, whose average score is still higher than Rob Schneider's. His was 30. Hers is 32. So uh, she has 70% negative and 30% mixed. No positive. It's probably uh, all those lovey-dovey teen movies she made back in the late 90s, exactly. early 2000s. Exactly. Rounding out the top five, we have Jessica Alba, Katherine Heigl, Denise Richards, and Alicia Silverstone. Um, this The actress's list is definitely very interesting, so I would, if nothing else, check out this Vox.com article for that. So thank you again, uh, because without Zachary Crockett, I would not have this article to look at. Um, questions, comments, concerns on that there, Tim? Alicia Silverstone, that name doesn't ring a bell not <laughs> all right take it away what do you got there sir all right so i will knock out a few pieces of news first up some sad news doris roberts the mother from 
Everybody Loves Raymond is probably her most well-known role. She passed away at the age of 90. Believe it or not, this is from TMZ.com, because I think they were the first ones to really report it, and this is unfortunately how I found out about this. But they uh, their little article here says this, Doris Roberts, the beloved mom from Everybody Loves Raymond, has died We're told Doris passed away Sunday in L.A. She won five Emmy Awards, four of them for Raymond. She also starred in tons of other TV shows and movies like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Grandma's Boy. She is survived by her son, Michael Kanata Jr., who she had with her first husband. Doris's second husband, William Goyen, died in 1983. Doris was 90 years old. And so that is, you know, that's sad. Um... No, I didn't really watch Raymond, but she has been in oodles, I mean oodles, of other films. Not just Christmas Vacation or Grandma's Boy, but there are quite a few. Uh, She's appeared in so many different TV roles, including movies, normally as a a second or third character. Usually the smartass older woman at times. But she's great gonna miss her she always has that likable characteristic to her as well uh so r.i.p doris roberts matt whenever i say the actor's name doug jones do you know who he is no he's the he's played all the monsters in pretty much the gil merrill del toro movies like in hellboy he was the aquatic uh yeah, okay, thing, yes, and... I, I pulled him up just now. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. the tall, slender Sabian. guy. Yeah. Right. Well, according to io9.com, Master of Monsters Doug Jones will resurrect Nosferatu. This is written by Rob Bricken, and it says this, If you read io9 with any regularity, you likely know the name Doug Jones. He's the man behind the masks of countless monsters, aliens, heroes, and demons, ranging from Buffy to Hellboy to Falling Skies to Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer to The Strain. Now he's bringing his particular talents in his tall, thin frame to Nosferatu's titular vampire. Hiring Jones to play Count Orlock isn't the remake's only cool idea, but Variety says that director David Lee Fisher is, quote, creating a remix of the original film with a mixture of live action combined with colorized digital backgrounds recreated from the original film, end quote. Trying to bring 1920s German cinematic expressionism into the 21st century? That could be very cool. It'll still be a remake of one of the world's best vampire movies starring one of entertainment's big on-screen monsters. End all quotes there. I think that'd be pretty cool. He definitely has the build. I don't know who all is familiar with William Defoe's portrayal as Count Orlock in the great uh, movie representation of the making of Nosferatu with John Malkovich as the director. Oh, shit, what is that movie called? Oh, Shadow of the Vampire. Fantastic movie. Or if you, I don't know if you, if some of you are probably very much familiar with the original uh, Nosferatu, the silent film Nosferatu. And even Werner Herzog made a remake of Nosferatu in 1970 something. And it is phenomenal. Highly recommend that one as well. And. My next piece of news, Galleon Heard hints at the one thing that could save the Terminator movies. This is written by Charlie Jane Anders. The last Terminator movie did underperform at the box office. Keep that in mind. 
So we don't know if we're really going to be getting a continuation of that story or not. But this is the article. This is kind of an insane long shot, but Gail Ann Hurd, who produced the Terminator and Terminator 2, told fans last weekend that it is possible she will team up with the original director James Cameron on a new Terminator film. According to Digital Spy, Hurd was at a screening of Fear the Walking Dead, one of the TV shows she currently produces, and she would definitely be up for reuniting with Cameron on a new movie. Saying, quote, Jim Cameron has an exclusive deal with 20th Century Fox. My deal is with Universal, so right now, there's no collaborating. On the other hand, we're still close friends, and I hosted him and his son on the set of The Walking Dead. One day, you never know, maybe one day we'll get Terminator back, end quote. Actually, as Digital Spy points out, Cameron will regain the rights to the Terminator franchise in 2019, which is one reason why there's been such a rush to get new Terminator films out. Until Terminator 2 Genesis underperformed, there were plans to put out two more Terminator films in the next two years. At that point, Cameron will be able to make a new Terminator movie himself, or just let the franchise die. Uh, And the article goes on to remind us that Cameron sold the rights to Heard for the Terminator label, name, or whatever, for $1 back in the day. And they are pretty sure he regrets doing that. Would you like to see another Terminator movie directed by James Cameron? Matt, I personally don't think he has any interest. I mean, he's doing his Avatar movies. He has... Four sequels already in production for Avatar. I think he's kind of done with Terminator. Yeah, I agree. And quite frankly, I don't know. Um, I just I I I don't really know if I want to see another one. I think I think he left on such a high note that he would be suffering from uh too high of an expectation. So I think I think it's fine if he just lets it go. Yeah, fully agree. Right on. All right. Well, last but not least for me here real quick from International Business Times, which is ibtimes.com by way of Nicole Massabrook. Thor Ragnarok will not include Natalie Portman uh, and fans react to Jane Foster's exit. Uh, Let's see here. It's a very, very brief article here. But again, if you'd like to recap it yourself, ibtimes.com. Thor Ragnarok is losing one leading leading lady and gaining another. Natalie Portman, who played scientist Jane Foster in the first two Thor films, will not be involved in the third. The Hollywood Reporter revealed that Portman would not be returning, but Thor won't be alone for long. Tessa Thompson has been cast in a, quote, key role, end quote. It isn't clear how big of a part she'll play, but deadline reveals that she will be the Asgardian God's love interest. Um, It uh, discusses Portman's departure a little bit and has a lot of people here with their tweets saying they don't really care. Uh, I kind of care because why bother having put her in the second one and kind of setting up that will they, won't they, if you weren't ever really going to bring her back. So that kind of irritates me, but I don't know. Any thoughts there, Tim? Because that's the end of my news. Yeah, well, I know Natalie Portman doesn't like doing any of those movies. That's why you haven't really seen her pop up in any other Avengers movie other than the first two Thor films. So I feel the same way with her that I feel with What's-His-Name and James Bond. If they're going to bitch about it, I don't want to fucking see them. I mean, I'm sure with Natalie Portman, she didn't realize how limiting the contract is for her so that if Marvel needs her or wants her, she has to 
you know, uh, go and do whatever they need her to do. That's what happened with Idris Elba. Idris Elba didn't want to do anything for Avengers Age of Ultron, but Marvel said they needed him at the last minute, so we had to uh, work something out with the current project he was doing, and he had to fly to wherever he had to go and shoot his bit role. So if if she's not going to enjoy it, I don't want to see it. You know, I'm not saying that either is wrong for doing so, but overall it's going to work for the best. Lastly, to wrap up the news, something controversial here. Juicily controversial, Diana. Juicily. From ScreenCrush.com. Um, actually, before I read this title, it's going to give away uh, the, the cherry at the top of this whole whitewashing scandal news. Uh, I know, Matt, you have personal history. You have more history with the Ghost in the Shell franchise the uh, i don't know if i know you've you've seen the the animated material i don't know if you've read the manga or not but i told you earlier that scarlett johansson was going to be playing the role and what do you think about scarlett johansson playing the main female lead i think she's a fine actress um i don't uh, you know i i have i don't agree with i don't like every single one of her performances but i mean I got nothing against her as an actress, and I don't necessarily think, given her pedigree in the Marvel uh, franchise, that she's necessarily a bad choice per se in terms of an action role. But I am definitely not pleased that they did not go with an Asian person. Because in Ghost in the Shell, uh, for me, you it, in a lot of Japanese anime, say what you will about whitewashing or not, or casting or however... Um, the Japanese animators do not draw their subjects, the vast majority of them, to be Asian. They don't have Asian appearance, coloring, skin tone, eyes, any of that. Um, and that's their artistic choice and their style, and I think part of its appeal even outside of Japan. But in Ghost in the Shell, it's pretty obvious this chick is Asian. So I think it was definitely a bad call. And that's, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, Max Landis, who I really don't care too much about his rantings because he likes to rant and he kind of has this pompous attitude towards him. But he actually put out a little video because people were actually interested in hearing what he had to say for some reason. I agree with what he had to say. He was going on saying that there, we don't really have that many Asian leading ladies out there. And so you have a property like Ghost in the Shell, which is cherished by hardcore fans there's just not enough of them to warrant risking uh, the movie, uh, you know, you know, risking putting an unknown Asian actress in the leading role, dumping hundreds of millions of dollars into the budget, and then it flopping because there's no grab for the audience. And so that is why he, they went with somebody like Scarlett Johansson. You know, she's a strong leading lady female. She proved herself in the movie Lucy. She can do action on her own. And she, you know, she's a very fine actress. And so, you know, the, the studios feel more comfortable doing that. And I, I can understand that. And also Max Landis went on to say something about, like, people need to stop bashing or pointing the finger at anybody, at one individual person. But it's the whole system that is gray. The whole system is the gray area. And it's the whole culture uh, as a movie culture, this is what we're catering to now, and it's hard to really break that without breaking the entire system and risking a whole lot of money in the process. But the cherry on top of all this, which is something that is pretty grotesque, but I will say off the bat, the studio 
caught itself before any of this was able to be seen by any public. But ScreenCrush.com exclusive Ghost in the Shell producers reportedly tested visual effects that would make white actors appear Asian. This is written by Matt Simpson, and it says this, Back in late 2015, when Scarlett Johansson was cast in Paramount Pictures and DreamWorks' live-action adaptation of uh, Masumuni Shiro's manga series The Ghost in the Shell, fans were already critical of the casting of the Danish-Polish actress in the role of Major Motokoko Kusanagaji, an Asian woman. It was the latest example of the long Hollywood tradition of whitewashing, the practice of casting white actors in not-white roles. Recent films have been criticized for casting Emma Stone as a half-Chinese, half-Hawaiian woman in Aloha, Rooney Mara as a Native American in Pan, and the entire Caucasian cast of Gods of Egypt playing Egyptians. And that was just last year. Yesterday, as the first photo of Johansson in Ghost in the Shell, her character is now simply referred to as Major, was released, the controversy was renewed. Despite a predominantly Asian cast, many questioned why the studio didn't choose an ethnically appropriate actor as the film's lead. After the backlash surrounding Johansson's role in the film, producers reportedly attempted to quell the controversy with an old standby Hollywood uses to fix a lot of problems, CGI. According to multiple independent sources close to the project, Paramount and DreamWorks commissioned visual effects tests that would have altered Scarlett Johansson in post-production to shift her ethnicity and make the Caucasian actress appear more Asian in the film. It's the latest and most extreme case of beauty work. The new trend in Hollywood to discreetly use visual effects to tweak an actor's appearance, making them thinner, younger, or stronger. The Ghost in the Shell tests were conducted by Lola VFX, the same company that aged up and down Brad Pitt in Curious Case of Benjamin Button and is considered the industry leader in so-called beauty work. Though the tests were requested by the production team, once they were developed and reviewed, the idea was rejected immediately, says an insider. We reached out to Paramount Pictures, who acknowledged the tests, but refute the claim that Johannesson was involved, saying, quote, A test was done related to a specific scene for a background actor, which was ultimately discarded. Absolutely no visual effects were conducted on Scarlett's character, and we have no future plans to do so. End all quotes there. Very interesting. I mean, I, I kind of find it hard to believe that with all this, the whitewashing scandal, or not scandals, but the whole whitewashing backlash that's going on, a studio would even think about risking doing this to Scarlett Johansson. So I kind of call bullcrap on the other people that are uh, the other apparent insiders who are saying that they were testing this on Johansson. A background extra? I can understand that a little bit, why they might have played around with that idea somewhat. I guess we will never know. Matt, do you have any comments or questions about all of this? Do you do you find that this would be this should be a, a good thing or not a good thing, but a right thing to do, even if it is for a background extra? I don't know. I mean, there's so much freaking CGI and shit. Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody would know the difference really, as long as I mean, if they uh, if they just did it in post production anyway. But I, I don't know. We don't do blackface for a reason. Why would we do yellowface? You know what I mean? I mean, if you're going to sit there and um, 
either get somebody that's Asian or don't, but don't sit there and do something that could be potentially deemed and really kind of could be seen as is because apparently it was seen as is. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Weird. That's my news. All right. Well, let's see here. Then we are going to move into the ultimate letdown. Ultimate Let's see here. So the ultimate letdown for this 420 edition of the SLS cast for me, I thought, and I was telling Tim about this, I thought about choosing Sex in the City too, uh, because you must be on some form or fashion of drugs to have any chance of enjoying it. Um, but I decided that's not really fair to Sex in the City 1, which was not really a great movie, but did at least legitimately try to end it. So, eh, whatever. And then I thought about something else. I thought about something Highlander 2. Highlander fucking 2, The Quickening. Do you know why they called it The Quickening? Because you feel like getting the fuck out of the theater or turning the fucking TV off with a quickness. That's why. Because it's so fucking bad. I... Remember when I got to see Highlander on video with my stepdad and my brother all at the same time. And my stepbrother, whatever. My dad and my brother. Doesn't matter. And we sit down to watch this movie and I was just blown away. I was like, holy crap, there can be only one. Right? Well, holy shit. I went, and then I heard there were there was another one. And I'm like, Yes! Yes. So um, we didn't get a chance to see it in the theater for whatever reason. So now I'm even doubly excited. Like, oh my gosh, I have to wait so long for this movie. <clears throat> and we get it. And like the day it comes out on uh, on video, we go down to the uh, Blockbuster. And we get it. And we rush home. Man, we got the popcorn and the pizza and everything. And we are sitting down and we are ready to have some fucking guy time. And then... The movie started. And they try to rewrite the whole fucking universe right then. And they make it into some kind of fucking spaceship thing. Like, what? What? And and it, it doesn't get any better. doesn't get any better from there. Um, I just... This movie... I wanted to cry. I was 14 years fucking old. And I wanted to fucking cry movie came out in 1991 um it's just fucking terrible 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 horrible movie and i want to cry now so i'm gonna stop there (laughs) highlander 2 the quickening take it away Tim. hey you know uh i think highlander 3 is on netflix have you seen highlander 3 i did i did because at that point i figured they possibly can't possibly be any worse and the thing is, is it's right. Highlander 3 is not... I mean, it's not a great movie, but um, it's definitely not as bad as 2. Hmm. So, there is that. Go uh, Mario Van Peebles, huh? Isn't Sean Connery in the sequel? He is! And you're like, hang on, he fucking died. <laughs> how did they bring him back? The Quickening. The Quickening brought him back. That's how. What the, what how? Is the quickening? Because Quickening... 
Oh, really? Is that how yeah. they explain it? How oh, is yeah, the, the quick? They even get to one point where they're literally invincible again, and uh, of course, you know, after Sean Connery's not dead anymore, and they get like get shot a whole bunch driving a car into this like facility and then they're like well i you know what are you whining about i got shot 106 times 106 i I, you know i'm sitting here with 140 bullet holes in me and i'm like come on guys guys you're ruining it you're ruining it you're ruining everything so anyway yeah highlander 2 though i was just i don't know maybe someone else you know what about you johnny you this sounds i'm hoping this sounds like the kind of movie that you would have seen as well were you equally as disappointed <sighs> i don't know what do you got there for us tim okay so uh some years ago back in texas before i moved out here still in school when i was experimenting with marijuana for the first time and other substances uh, I was venturing into trippy, psychedelic, fun, engrossing, visually pleasing movies, you know. Of course, whenever you start smoking weed, you listen to Pink Floyd, or do other drugs, you listen to Pink Floyd, watch The Wall, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I never really found anything that really took me to that next level, and there was a trip planned with a bunch of friends and i'm not talking about a road trip if you know what i mean but i I, you know i had to go to work very responsible went to work my friends had a good time some days later we were all hanging out and we were talking about it and they kept talking about uh, a movie and they didn't tell me the title of the movie but they were telling me about the opening scene which uh, the, the whole movie takes place in tokyo and they're like, yeah, it's visual. I remember watching the trailer for this particular movie, and it's very like neon colors, visually uh, gorgeous. How it's shot, it's all from the first person of this drug addict. And the beginning of the movie, he's in his Tokyo apartment, uh, neon lights all outside, and the inside of his room is 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 lit, kind of dingy like, but still colorful-esque and he has a crack pipe after his girl his girlfriend leaves him or something like that and he takes his crack pipe and you know and and, and you know he's and it, and it kind of looks like you're smoking crack in a way i mean that is, this is like the ultimate drug for or the ultimate drug uh pov type of movie and so i found that very interesting when i watched the trailers so when my friends told me about them taking while they were tripping i i, I was just enthralled by the idea of watching this movie on on a substance of some kind so they were telling me about watching it when they were tripping on acid or whatever and uh and and so the the whole opening shot when the 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 girl leaves the boyfriend or something like that or is the sister like mad at mad at her brother I, i forget exactly uh and uh and just basically saying you're worthless all you do is sit around and do drugs you know it's gonna kill you and all this stuff and so my friends were telling me that yo they're really getting into the visuals the camera movements the pov until as their trip was they, they did a whip it hit and as their trip was like peaking at that moment he's bringing the crack pipe full of drugs the character the pov character and after every hit he's taking of this drugs he's saying i'm not a junkie I'm not a junkie. And he's just repeating this over and over again as he is doing the very thing junkies would do. And it freaked my friends out because as they were smoking their pipes or as they were taking their whippets at the same time, they felt like they were experiencing what this guy was experiencing. And so I was very 
interested in this so i thought you know what this is going to be that this is going to be the movie that takes me to that next level i went ahead and put it on that pedestal it's going to be two hours and 17 minutes of mind mind juiciness <laughs> so a couple years go by i'm with some friends we're partying we're, we're on a trip ourselves we, we took a trip to the grand canyon we took a trip a, a mind trip to the grand canyon and uh, we decide to put on this movie, and it's a buddy of mine, and his girlfriend was there, and we start watching it. And again, it's to that part where you know he's you know smoking the pipe, he's doing the "I'm the junkie, I'm not a junkie, I'm not a junkie" thing. Beautiful colors. I'm kind of getting into it, but his girlfriend started freaking out and not liking it, so we had to shut it off, and I wasn't able to watch it. So. Fast forward multiple years to last year, we recorded uh, last year's 420 show on 420, and I really wanted to review this movie last year, and Matt, I believe you're the one that nixed that idea because you read probably what I'm about to talk about right now, that you know you read some bad stuff about the movie. So I thought, okay, well, we're going to end the show, and I'm just going to get really stoned because I got these edibles and all that good stuff, and... I'm going to plant my face in front of my big screen TV, headphones on, crank it up, and I'm just going to veg out watching Gasper Nose, Enter the Void. That is the movie. I just realized that I didn't ever say the title of it. And so I turn it on, and I'm already very familiar with the first 15 minutes of it. And for those of you who do not know what the movie is about, this junkie dude who's selling meth or heroin, he's selling whatever drugs, he goes into this club... And he gets uh, he, he gets caught on the wrong end of the shit stick, and he ends up getting gunned down in this club, or out out, out in front of this club. I don't I don't remember. I think in, in the bathroom in the shitter maybe. And the rest of the movie takes place like from the POV of his spirit. His spirit leaves his body, and he just kind of floats around from character to character. You get to watch how his sister completely ruins her own life. And you, you you experience these flashbacks of when the sister and the brother were kids and what really caused them to get all fucked up and become all druggy and what caused them to get all fucked up and druggy. And, and keep in mind, you know, still constantly stoned throughout. But then you see this horrible car wreck with these kids in the back seat and the, the car wreck happens and the, and the cameras, and the shot is of the kids and you see... The parents in the front seat leaning back with blood all over them. Their faces coming off. Their heads are broken and all this stuff. And the kids have face matter and blood all over them. And they're traumatized as as, they're, as they just watch their family, you know, brutally die. And you're left there watching that. On top of that, you're watching all these people ruin their lives. You're not finding any enjoyment watching this film. In fact, you're regretting, celebrating, quotation marks celebrating, a holiday such as 420. And yet, people love this movie for some reason. On Rotten Tomatoes, Enter the Void by Gaspar Noe has a 71% rating. It's not technically fresh or not. That is based on 62 fresh reviews and 28, 26 rotten reviews. Visually, it's stunning. It's beautiful. It's very interesting how they made it. It wasn't one studio that made it. Various studios from all over the world had uh, had a hand in, in shooting various scenes of the movie. But Gaspar Noe has come out and said that he doesn't want to make movies that people like. He purposely wants to make movies that people don't like. And 
that's just an, a, an egotistical douchebag of a director right there. Yeah, and that, that was my ultimate letdown, Enter the Void. I was really looking forward to it, expecting a bitch in time. Two hours and 17 minutes later, I was evaluating my own life choices. And that's not how you want to spend 420. Enjoy it by watching something else, like Fear and Loathing, again, for the 500th time. Go and do that. You're safer with that. So, enter the void. That is why it was my ultimate letdown. Very good, very good. All right. Well, next week, we are going to be doing uh, discussions with Matt and Tim. Uh, and we're going to be covering the express.co.uk article, Dark Side of Oz, the exploitation of Judy Garland. Uh, when you hear about this, I hope, and I really please encourage you to go and check it out. Um, I will try and even, I'll even try and tweet it out for you guys, but express.co.uk, Dark Side of Oz, The Exploitation of Judy Garland. I would really love for you guys to be able to read this and um, hopefully have something to contribute to the discussion for us next week because it's a really, really um, powerful article. So we're going to be talking about that next week. And that leaves us with the movies, does it not, sir? <sighs> Finally. <laughs> Here we go, folks. It's All right, this week's movies are 2006's Paprika, 1973's Fantastic Planet, and Midnight Special. Um... Where do you want to start there, Tim? Well, Midnight Special, other than the name, doesn't really fit with the themes of the uh, of, of the trippy other other trippy movies. <laughs> no. So what, why don't we leave that one last? Okay. And go with Fantastic Planet. All right, Fantastic Planet, nineteen seventy three, cut out stop motion science fiction allegorical film. Uh, it is also French. Uh, in the French, it was La Planète Sauvage, um, and it is uh, uh, a very interesting film that <clears throat> talks about a group of people known as the Drogs who have brought human beings to their planet. They're called Oms, uh, which is a play on the French word for man, which is uh, Om, H-O-M-M-E. Uh, and some, and basically the drags are this technological superior race and beings and stuff. And they pretty much just kind of shit all over the humans that are there. You either are a pet or you're just kind of left to your own devices in a very not nice environment where they just decide every so often, much like we do here in Texas, when the deer population in the state parks gets to be too big, they call the population back, which is basically they close the park for a weekend, have a whole bunch of hunters come in and kill deer. Um, same thing, same principle in this film. Um, it also kind of starts, <clears throat> uh, and then you, uh, have a, um, and then you have a, uh, a kid named Tur who comes across, um, I'm sorry, Tiva 
I apologize, uh, who basically ends up getting a hold of an infant boy, and she names him Tur. Tur, and from there, Tur learns about drag society through a whole bunch of things. Shenanigans ensue, and we have kind of a uh, battlefield Earth scenario going on here. Um, so here's the thing: this is a movie with really a, a just a fantastically compelling story um and and i thought that the story itself especially in allegorical terms was really cool and i and i can see why it was such a powerful film it won a lot of awards it was big jury selections did really even in the states um and so i can see what the appeal would have been for that but it is <clears throat> by its very nature it, it it is very avant-garde in its presentation and in the and in the cinematic style and the stop motion and everything and i just could not get behind it i simply was just it was just too much for me it was too weird how how me. sober were you stone <laughs> stone, stone sober, sober. <laughs> not stoned <laughs> but sober as a stone um yeah i not not a beer not a nothing um and you would think after having watched paprika first i would have been smart enough to do that but no uh <laughs> well i was a little better prepared for paprika and as a fan of anime uh, you know i wasn't too worried about needing to you know but whatever we'll get we'll get there we'll get there um i just yeah it this this i'm sorry this animation style especially the age of the animation i i get what they were going for and and again the allegory and the story itself really really cool but i would i would say it needs a severe update or a remake entirely or something and i know i don't like to say that but this film for me really needs it. Um, I absolutely do not like this film. Do not recommend this film, which is a bummer because again, the story is so cool. I give this 1.75 and that's based on the allegory behind it, what they were trying to do. And the fact that the story is good. Um, if you'd like to see a version of this film that you can thoroughly make fun of, try battlefield earth. Well, uh, for those of you who do like fantastic planet, Criterion is actually releasing, for the first time on Blu-ray, It, uh, in a couple months. So I'm sure even the colors are going to be cool. And it'll be, it, I, I think it'll be kind of interesting learning about the making of the movie especially. And, uh, you know, going more depth to all the allegories and or the allegorical stuff. Whatever. Yeah. So I was completely opposite of Matt in, 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 in my mind while watching <laughs> or in my head while watching fantastic planet 1973 i thank goodness it's a short movie it's only about 72 minutes the first god the first 20 minutes will weird you the hell out i mean you will start feeling a little funny like should i actually be watching this you're basically watching a small child get tortured for 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 a good 20 or 25 minutes until the child grows up a little bit like you're actually seeing a baby like 
get I mean I have not molested but kind of get kind of get fondled around violently fondled by a by a giant blue fish creature with boobs that that I think that is accurately how one can describe the first 20 minutes of Fantastic Planet but if you know if you can get past that if you can get if you can get past the different uh, the, the different the uh, or, or get past uh, get past what you're not familiar with or what what you're not used to when it comes to animation because uh, it is French uh, it is different it is very like Monty Pythony in a way kind of like Terry Gilliam's animation I'm pretty sure Terry Gilliam uh, got some ideas from this film because this style is very familiar if you can get past it, if you can really get into the story, I think there's a lot to really, uh, to, to like here, you know? You can be impressed by the story, not just the story, but the animation, uh, the progression of the story, and honestly, I think the blue, the alien creatures, or whatever they are, they creeped me out enough to where I really wanted to see that cartoon dude and all those other cartoon dudes and dudettes get off that goddamn planet. And get away from these people. Because if they made this movie into a live action movie, I think it would, and if it was done right, it would creep me the fuck out. Watching this in the movie theater. Especially stoned or whatever. So, I I mean, I I think this movie does get a lot right. Uh, For me, it's just, uh, over time, it being older and different and experimental, I guess you could say, it just really doesn't age all too well. But I still think it's a very good film. I do give this one 3.75 out of 5. Right on, right on. All right, where do you want to go from there, sir? How about so I guess uh, paprika? Apparently, since we're saving the night special for last, the uh, Ince- Inception prequel, Paprika. Indeed. Okay. Now, this movie actually suffers for me from the opposite problem. Um, this movie is about a revolutionary new psychotherapy treatment. Uh, it's called Dream Therapy, and so basically the idea is you have this a device. It's called the DC Mini. And it is used to allow people to actively inhabit other people's dreams, uh, or in terms of being able to watch them. You can, you know, um, paprika, however, is kind of like this alter ego of the person who's actually behind the project itself. Uh, the thing is, is that just like an in inception, dreams can be hijacked and they can lead to disastrous results. This is, and, that is what happens, right? The wrong person's dream gets hijacked. <clears throat> Disastrous results. Reality and dream world merge. Who knows what's happening and why? This movie is... And so, again, the whole movie is shenanigans ensue, as they say. Now, this movie is absolutely stunning. I mean, in terms of its visual appeal. Um colors the vibrancy the characters all that amazing stuff the idea behind the landscapes and everything the and of course the initial foray of balancing the real world and the dreams also make it so that even though it's trippy and weird 
you're able to keep up with it. It's when the inevitable happens and you get that mashup of the dream world and that at that point, the story falls apart for me and um, <clears throat> and also the excuse for having that dream world be all fucking weird just kind of becomes, let's just make this the most fucked up visual cue you can take. I thought the acting, or at least the voice acting, was, you know, very decent. But, again, I the trippiness for me, it just went way overboard. Like, I was kind of on board with it at first. Again, because it was segregated. Um, but that crossover stuff, it just... You start sitting there going, what, 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 and it, yeah. So while I think the film is beautiful, even then, there is an arguable beauty to it. It just, the story isn't enough to make you care enough to put up with it. Um, so this one gets a 2.75. Uh, I, I like that they tried... It was um, it was an interesting concept, but the story just doesn't carry through. The visuals are amazing and vibrant colors, but again, the merging of it just kind of leaves you going, maybe I should just get high and watch heavy metal. So 2.75 out of 5 for me on Paprika. What do you got there, Tim? You know, I, I enjoyed Paprika. Uh, I, before, I've, I mean, this is my first time seeing the movie, and this is another one where I've heard from a lot of friends that... Oh, dude, you got to watch this. It's a great 420 movie. And, you know, some years ago, whenever I wasn't really into anime, I didn't think I would enjoy it. Uh, I kind of thought it was going to be hardcore anime. But honestly, this would have been a great introduction to anime because the animation is absolutely beautiful. The colors are vibrant. The characters are interesting. It's just the only problem of this film, and I'm I mean, I'm not quoting, but I this is kind of what a lot of the other critics. Uh, this is one of uh, th th this is a main complaint for a lot of critics is that the movie kind of follows its own brand of storytelling, or even its own own style of logic. Because you have engrossing characters, you have a really kick-ass pre-inception. Uh, a, a story plot involving dreams and dream hijackers and all this stuff, but you really don't know exactly what the fuck is going on. Like, did something get lost in the translation, or is the movie just like this? And so I think you waste a big portion—not a, a big portion, but I—but you probably spend a good thirty percent of the film trying to figure, trying to make sense of stuff. Which is why I do believe this movie does warrant multiple screenings, because I think as you watch the movie, well, it can go one way or the other. You will find more meaning to it, or you will come up with a meaning just to satisfy the movie, just to humor the movie, or humor your the, 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 the liking that you have towards the movie. But I do think it's an achievement. I do believe the director... Um, uh, Satoshi, uh, Satoshi Kon, Kon, he directed the uh, another film which got pretty stellar reviews. Uh, what is it called? It is called uh, Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, he passed away way too early because man, this guy definitely knows how to tell the story. It's lacking the heart 
Um, and that's okay because the movie is pure entertainment. But like what Matt said, where it got where it, it, it gets a little too trippy for me though, it got a little too trippy. Uh, a little too wackadoodle in, during the final act. When they should have taken the time to really pull the movie together, they just kind of let the floodgates open and flood the town with crazy ideas and crazy stuff and crazy cuts, crazy, crazy edits, crazy visuals. Uh, and, and I think ultimately that's what hurts the movie. But like many of the other critics that you can read on Rotten Tomatoes or wherever, I you can't help but to appreciate this movie and enjoy this movie and probably like this movie a lot more than you should which is why i give paprika 3.5 out of 5 i thoroughly enjoy it but don't get me wrong this movie does have many story flaws and people could say well tim for hardcore henry you appreciated the way hardcore henry was shot you liked it. You thought it was a technical marvel, not really technical marvel, but a technical, you know, a, a good movie. Technically, a good movie, but it was lacking the story. Weren't you bashing this movie more? So, well, because this movie has characters. This movie actually has a story. It just really needed um, needed to capitalize on the devotion the audience makes towards the characters and to the, into the, and towards the story itself so that we can get something more out of the movie, except a good story, intriguing characters and one hell of a trippy ass good time. So 3.5 out of five, I enjoy it. I recommend it to people who are at least interested in paprika. Right on, right on. Okay, well then that is going to bring us to Midnight Special. 2016 American science fiction uh, drama film written and directed by Jeff Nichols. And it stars Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton, Kristen, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Goodness gracious, almost did that again like last time. Like an idiot. <sighs> uh, Adam Driver, Jaden Lieberher, and Sam Shepard. Alright, so you remember the... Uh, Twilight Zone movie from like 1983-84 and that last segment where the kid can like do shit with his mind and it's kind of like cartoony and weird and the family's all jacked up and the and gets a teacher and all that stuff. Imagine if they took that and they combined it with aspects of Powder and K-Pax and Starman and made it all good. And Martian right? Child. Oh yeah, and Martian Child. And... And, I mean, Starman was good already, but K-Pax, okay, could be pretty good, right? Powder, meh, could be kind of interesting, right? And, you know, the Twilight Zone thing, not really all that great. But imagine you put all that stuff together and you get this really good movie. That's what this is, okay? Uh, you've got a this uh, guy who is fleeing a, text, a cult, and he takes, he takes uh, his boy with him. And this kid possesses, you know, admittedly from the beginning, possesses otherworldly powers, right? And he is trying to get to, he's trying to get to his, uh, to, to get the kid to his mom. They're trying to figure out exactly what they need to do to put, to get this kid to kind of this like appointed place in time, uh, because shit's gonna go down and it needs to happen their way at, on their, on their timetable and by their rules. 
and nobody else's. Of course, because this kid is quote-unquote kidnapped, an Amber Alert goes out, which involves law enforcement, FBI, and stuff like that. And yet, as things start to happen and events occur and unfold and strange things are like, what the shit? Um, we're now getting into, hold on, there is a lot more than what we know at stake and we need to figure out what's going on with this kid. Whatever. Now, the movie then becomes a race against time for will the kid make it? Will the FBI get What about this happening with the dad and the mom and all this kind of shit? I absolutely adore this movie. I was not sure what was going to be happening for it. Jeff Nichols directed this movie. And for those of you who are not familiar, he did Take Shelter and Mud. And I know that we reviewed Mud on the show for sure, which um, was just an outstanding movie. And so I was definitely really excited to see how this one was going to play out. And honestly, it really does play out very well. The only, uh, I mean, and it's, it's, it's thrilling. It's poignant when it needs to be. Um, it's got small little touches of knowing humor to it. Um, and yet it still maintains those sci-fi kind of thrill ride or thriller aspects of the movies that I mentioned, especially in the parallels to Starman. But it does bring a new, fresh take. It's got great acting, good characters. The only thing that I think is that is that it was a little too. It's just a little too rote. Okay, the movie kind of follows an established pace and suffers from predictability as a result. And I did not really care for the like the last say minute or two. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the film overall in terms of it making it like, like, oh God, now the movie's ruined or anything like that. Not in any way, shape or form. It's just that it, again, a little too rote, a little too by the numbers makes it, makes it predictable and takes that extra oomph away from it. That makes you, that really makes you go. <gasps> and so because of that, I give this one 4.25 out of five. Great characters, cool story, all the cool stuff from those movies that I mentioned, um, and just well worth the watch. So I'm looking forward to catching Loving, that's for sure. So, which is Jeff Nichols' next film. So, yeah. What's up? Bring us home, Tim. Yeah, I, I am really excited about Jeff Nichols. My only beef with Midnight Special is that I wish it was more like Take Shelter. Great thing about Take Shelter is, I mean, really I thought it was just a little over long, a little too long, because it's an awfully, it's a very uh, slow-paced movie. But the character building in that movie is astounding. Uh, for I mean, I don't know who has seen the movie or not. I'm not going to go into detail what it's about. But for those of you who have seen the movie, you know, like, by the end of the movie, I mean, up until the end, you know, you think there could be something going on outside. There could be a disaster that's happening. And then at the end, you are, um, you, be you, are you believe, along with Michael Shannon, that, you know, that he has something wrong with them. But then at the end, right before the credits, that's when 
the resolution really happens. That's the climactic point. But you, the audience member, wasn't expecting the climactic point because you didn't think there was going to be a climactic point. And there was. And it was well worth it because you had brilliant character progression throughout. And I really wanted that with Midnight Special. I thought it was wonderfully acted. Uh, Went with the significant other last night and... Her big complaint was that she didn't really, uh, be- really believe the 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 little boy, the little the, the little kid, the midnight special. <laughs> she didn't find him believable. Uh, so in a way, I can kind of see that. Though I think she's very, uh, she she's kind of one sided after seeing Room. She really loves that little kid from Room. So I think any role for a little boy should go to that little kid from Room. But, you know, I thought, the, I thought the little boy was okay, but nothing really memorable when it came to him. And the movie, at least at the beginning, the focal point, when it worked the best, the focal point wasn't on the kid, but it was on the events and the people surrounding the boy. And if the movie went that route and focused on uh, Michael Shannon's character and Joel Edgerton's Lucas character and even his mother, uh, the movie would have worked... With the pacing that it had, with with the story progression that it had, but then by the end of the movie, when it relies on the emotional buildup, the the, the family relationship, not only with the 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 the, uh, the adults, but also with the kid, it kind of let left me feeling a little flat by the credits. Flat feeling by the credits, I should say. I really didn't... I mean, I thought it was very good. I was entertained from beginning to end. Never once was I born... Or born... I was born once, I think. Once or twice. But I was never bored once throughout the movie. But I just didn't have that... It it didn't have that emotional gestalt that I think it thought it had. And that is just my big concern. And unfortunately, that does take a big chunk of the rating away from the movie. I give it 3.5 out of 5. Don't get me wrong, I think it's a brilliant film. It's just the 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 time factor, the slow pace or one could say the overly slow-paced mud and uh and take shelter. I think Midnight Special could have benefited from that. Just so that ending, the the final act uh, uh, you know, you like j- just so that final act would have been more a more of a more of a punch to the gut, you know, and that is what I wanted. But still, very good movie. Do check it out. Three point five out of five. And by the way, I got I loved the beginning of the movie. I loved how the opening of the movie. You're just kind of thrown into the action, and it's very fun. It doesn't start. It's not. It, you know, it doesn't start from point A. It starts on you know from point you know, D or E or F or something. And as the movie goes on, you kind of learn what happened earlier on, which kind of keeps the movie more mysterious. It keeps the characters more mysterious. And I love that. And I think that helped this movie out a great deal by doing so. But 3.5 out of 5. Right on. All right. Well, that is going to bring a close to the movies and bring us to the end of the show. The movies for next week are going to be the uh, Jungle Book remake that Disney is doing. Uh, We also have The Invitation and Look Who's Back. That's right, folks. Those are the flicks for next week. And without further ado, I believe that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel. 
Especially if it's a juicy spanking. Juicy. 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 Spanking. Alright, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can, of course, follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that is your heart's desire. And as always, don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio so until next week this is Matt saying that thanks to Christopher Lambert I get to say this I was always trying even in pure action movies to find what was sensitive about the character more than the pure action when I read Highlander what interested me was the romance the pain that this guy was carrying not being able to die and looking around him at all the people he loved going before him Take care, cinephiles, and we'll toke at you again next week. Get it?